next two weeks as I've gone through 1 Corinthians 13. And we're looking at that great love chapter, that great recalibration by the Apostle Paul to bring us into what's really important in life. And that's a genuine, compassionate, caring one for another. And how we need God's help for that. And we're going to look at communion. We're going to take communion today. And uh, I want to do a teaching today on communion, the Lord's Supper. It's found in also 1 Corinthians. And now I'm going to start in uh, chapter 11, verse 17. I'm going to read the 32, though, not 24. Thank you. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the same church that's in disarray, the same church that's empowered by God, but they don't have any character, they don't have any love. They have every good and perfect gift from God, but they're missing something on the inside. Listen to the Apostle Paul concerning the Lord's Supper. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another one gets drunk. What? Do you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? I shall not commend you for this. No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I've also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is, that, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we, be ju- if we judge ourselves correctly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And we thank you for communion, Father God. We thank you for the sacrament and the ordinance of communion, Father God, that reminds us of the most foundational element of our faith. It's reconciliation with you, God, and with one another. God, breathe upon this sermon today, God. Give me understanding, give the congregation understanding, Father God, that we can be changed. The Apostle Paul wrote this, that he would change this congregation, help us change from the inside out, Father God. Let us live, Father God, as people genuinely concerned for the welfare of other people, Father God. Help us and empower us, Father God, in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. I will take a minute because 
of inquiring. So I have to blow my nose. I often speak about the Lord's Supper because of how much it means to me. And as a pastor, the scriptures teach us I have a father's heart, a spiritual father's heart for God's people. And I, and I love this church. I love the people that come to this church. I love people that visit this church. And I want to see us live the way God wants us to live. Amen. Yes. Isn't that what we all want? Yes. And, and it's the Lord's Supper. It's the communion table. And it's Paul's response to what was going on in the church that gives us the greatest insight into the sacraments. And I'll give you a little history on the sacraments today. But it's really only mentioned three times in Scripture. Jesus teaches us in John 13. Uh, Jude speaks about it in Jude. And in this text here. We don't have a lot of information. But we, know, we do know history. So we have history on what the church and the audience, audience is. But it's First Corinthians that gives us the greatest insight. On what these little elements here, and what they portray, and what they characterize, and what they define. And for some of us here today, it might be an eye-opening experience to find out, wow, I know what that means. What that little piece of bread means. What that little grape juice is what we use. What it means. And for others, it'll be another aha moment to say, oh, I forgot it again. I forgot what the Christian faith is all about. You see this right here? You might not notice. This represents the Christian faith. And we'll speak about that. This is worship. When we partake later, and let, let me tell you, to qualify who can take the elements is someone who's generally asked Christ for forgiveness. Who said, Lord, I know I have sinned against you, and I know you've died for my sins. I accept that with all, I, with all my heart. I accept you, and I put my faith in you that you've died for me. I truly ask for forgiveness. I repent of anything I've ever done that ever offended you, big or small. I repent of it, the things I know of and the things I don't know of, the things I'm going to do in the future. Whatever it is, God, I just want to have a relationship with you, not just today, but forever. If you mean that in your heart, you qualify. And it's worship. And I don't want you to forget about that. Worship is of the heart. Christianity is of the heart. This worship takes the form of a ceremonial meal. Where the new family of God comes together for the purpose of celebrating their new relationship with God, the vertical, and a new relationship one with another, that's the horizontal. talking to a friend of mine over the week upstate family member, a good thinker educated young man and he dibbles and dabbles in different religions and he likes to think and he likes to read and so on and so forth and the more he thinks the more questions he has and I like to listen to him because I said did you get an answer yet because he's really not listening to what I have to say but I'm listening to him, I'm being kind and I ask him, did you get an answer yet 
You know, he's he's picking the world scene apart. He's a political analysis, and he's so I'm listening. I'm not jumping in. I'm just listening. And I said, but, but where's the answer? Is there an answer? He goes, I don't know. I said, you're doing a lot of good thinking, and he's trying to figure out world peace. <laughs> I said, well, that's a big question over here. And he ended this, but if, but if God was so powerful, you ever get that? Yep. If God really knows everything, and God really created all of us, then how come yep. the world is in the position it's in? That's a good question, isn't it? I can't fault him for that question. I had that question at one time. You know what the answer is? You see that? You see those elements? That's God's answer. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ is what brings us back to God in our relationship and now opens us up to love one another, to generally care for one another, and the rest of humanity. Nothing has taught me to love my wife more than what Jesus Christ has done for me. Nothing has taught me to love other people more than what Christ has done for me. Nothing has gotten me to overcome anger and prejudices and resentments and hurts and pains more than what Jesus Christ has done for me. Nothing has changed us more from the inside out than recognizing what Jesus has done for me. And this also represents something else. The wedding banquet of the Lamb of God. One day, all humanity will have that peace. Those who have trusted in Christ have been redeemed, have been saved, have repented of their sins and put their faith in what Christ has done for them, will enjoy eternity with God and with each other forever on a new heaven and a new earth. This is not some kind of uh, pie-in-the-sky theology. It is real. It is so real, it changes us from the inside out. That's how real it is. When I come up here, I come up here with nothing. I'm armed with nothing. I can convince no one. I can twist no one's arm. I can threaten nobody. I am armed by one thing. The truth. And we preach it, and we teach it, and we live it, and then God does everything else. Period. Let me tell you what this is not. These elements are not. After I take a sip of water. It is not transubstination. Do you understand what that is? Do you know when Roman Catholics have Mass? Does anybody come out of Roman Catholicism besides myself? Okay. They actually believe and teach as Catholic dogma that when the Mass takes place, the mystery of the Mass is that the elements actually change into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that you are actually partaking of the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And in the partaking of that, there is some type of grace. Something that God knows you need and he gives it to you. It's infused by just taking these elements because a priest or a bishop or a cardinal or a pope himself has blessed the elements, was used mysteriously by God himself to transform this humble piece of bread and wine or grape juice, whatever it is, 
actually into the body of the blood. And when you take it, something good's going to happen. They don't tell you what's going to happen, but it's good. Now, that's not true. All right? It's still grape juice. If 10 priests got over and prayed, it's still grape juice. But I'm going to give them that. I don't want to give a caricature. I don't want, I don't want to make fun of that. They believe that many Roman Catholics partake of it with a right heart. Amen? Yes. Let's always remember that. Yes. This is not about a silliness here. Many people go up there and they truly love Christ. And that's what makes any supper, any communion right is the condition of the heart. Amen. So we give them that. I love Roman Catholics, but I don't like Roman Catholic theology. There's a difference, amen? I'm not wild about the theology, and I'm wild about their interpretation of Scripture, but they're people like you and me, and we're all, we want to get close to God, so we'll leave that alone. So it's not that. That's the most, there's other teachings on this, but that's the one we're all familiar with. What this is, is a memorial. But it's not just any memorial. It's not just any remembrance. It's a divine memorial. Do you know why? Because Jesus himself gave it. And he expects it. So when Jesus gives it, now it becomes a divine memorial. And when we come together, it signifies everything Christ has done everything Christ is doing and everything Christ is going to do in a new heaven and new earth. Everything is signified in these elements. I want you to have an aha moment that we don't get together for the sake of just partaking in this as it's some kind of mechanical religious tradition which has no substance at all. This has more substance than you know. The substance is in the teaching and how we receive it in the heart. It's a reminder of the basic foundation of the whole Bible's message. I can sum up the whole Bible's message in these two elements. Mankind has sinned against God. Amen? The broken body takes away our sins. The shed blood is in the blood of the new covenant. That's where God does a special brand new work for all of us. It's grace. Not one person in this room can earn forgiveness. Let me say it again so I know. I got to make sure you understand this. No one can earn the forgiveness of God. No matter how much you try. You, You can turn your whole life around. And you can become the greatest caregiver in the world. But you can't earn forgiveness. But that broken body that's resembled, it earned it for you. Amen. That's Christianity. Yes. By faith, I believe, and every true Christian believes, that Jesus paid the price for their sins. And that that shed blood is God doing a brand new work in humanity by grace. It is totally by grace. His shed blood and broken body... It's the same thing, they're synonymous. It is the new covenant in Christ's name through his shed blood. Listen to me, don't get lost. Please do not get lost. When we take of these elements, it's a constant reminder of the basic foundation of what's the most important thing to God. And the most important thing to God, I'll say it again, the most important thing to God. 
Do you want to know what the most important thing to God is? Is your relationship with Him and one another. It's the most important thing to God. And when we partake of this, we have to make sure that we do not ever outrun God. You know what I mean by that? I'll start with me. I'm a pastor. I can never put ministry ahead of my relationship with God. I can never think that being a pastor is more important, and it's important, than my right relationship with God. As much as I love my wife, I love you guys, I live a nice life, I'm happy about those things, but it makes no difference. That's what life is about. Life is about Brian Martin is here today, and I am who I am, and I will be who I will be, and I'll spend eternity with God, and have everlasting joy, everlasting peace, everlasting hope, everlasting fellowship. I'll never not smile, I'll never not be content, I'll never not be restless, I'll never have an anxious thought again in my whole entire existence as a human being because of Jesus Christ. Christ's broken body on the cross. We cannot forget that. It's more important if I can feed 10,000 people, but I forget this, then guess what? It's worthless. I cannot outrun it. Some people can get so caught up in their spiritual gifts. I've been speaking about that two weeks, but they can forget about what it's all about. I can do and you can do and we can do the greatest spiritual outreach. We can feed all of Bay Ridge. If we pulled all our resources and we pulled all our time and our energy and we said, let's get together, let's roll up our sleeves and let's do something wonderful in Bay Ridge. How would you like that? But we come together and we partake in guess what? Who's fighting against who and who's got a resentment over here and who's judging this one and who's... It's all worthless. See, God doesn't care about that. He cares about how we feel about one another. The music's great. This is great. The teaching's great. God has beaten my personal needs. Let me tell you something. Me and my wife were upstate with my family this weekend. There's a lot of needs. I pray for a lot of needs. But guess what? The most important one is never forget. The greatest need I have, God has given to me. Eternal life. The church that Paul's writing to, guess what they forgot? Come on. They forgot the most important thing. They were getting together. Let me explain to you what happened 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the church would get together, usually would meet in the house, and you would get mostly poor people, and you get a couple of rich people, and they would own a big house, and they would open up their house for a church service, and then the church would come. It was either Saturday or Sunday. We're not really sure. It was one, one, one day or the other. But the point is this. The rich people would come early because they didn't have to work. So they would come and, and they would have a worship service and they would bring food and they were rich so they bring good food. And they could drink wine and they bring good and they bring a lot of good both. And what happens, they would come and, and, and there would be a teaching, a preaching, a song, and a worship and so on and so forth. And then they would fellowship and they would have the ceremony. It was called a love feast. Where they would acknowledge God, they would acknowledge the sacraments. But then guess who came later on? The poor. Because they had to work. And when they got there, guess what was gone? And guess what everybody else was? 
They were drunk. That's what Paul's saying. You get together, you're eating, you're getting drunk, and when people who come who have, who have needs, guess what? They have nothing. He goes, don't you have your own houses to eat and drink in? Get drunk on your own. Don't come to church and do it. Isn't it nice to know they're just as human as you and I? See, they forgot the most important thing. The most important thing is generally caring for one another, loving one another. And I was speaking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and, 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 and it sounded redundant that we're talking about love. And he said, but isn't there anything else the Bible teaches about? I said, many things. But if it's not done in love, it's meaningless. Love is it. And when you know it and you're living in it, it is sweet to the soul. There are two things you need and I need. I need to be loved and I need to love. I need to know what that is. You need that. God has given that to us. They were missing the point. And here's my question to us today. Are we missing the point? Are we missing the point? Why do we go to church? Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we listen to our Christian music? Why do we help the poor? Why do we help the needy? Why do we tell people about Jesus? Why? Are we missing the point? And before I get into the text, I want to ask you that question. Ask yourself. uh, Is Brian Martin missing the point? Could you put your own name in there? we read tonight defines six things we're going to go over. It talks about a new relationship with God through faith in Christ. It talks about a new relationship one person to another. Christianity is not a solo religion. It is absolutely corporate. It's corporate religion. The third thing it talks about the greatest of all hope. Christ return. The fourth thing we're going to talk about is this all takes place in the attitudes of our heart. This is a whole different kind of worship. You can sing and still hold on to hatred and anger and resentment. I can preach and I can study. I love to read. Love it. But I can still have resentments and judge people. Be self-righteous. That's not worship. We're going to find out tonight that these little elements we take, God presides over everything. And we're going to find out that actually Jesus Christ does nourish our souls when we partake. It's not a mystery. It's revealed in the word of God. Let me start here. The first one. The first thing they need to know is what Jesus Christ has done for them. I received from the Lord in verse 23 what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, 
He took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke and said, this is the body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul qualifies the breaking of the bread with this statement. On the night he was what? On the night he was... This was Jesus Christ's greatest, worst night ever. Betrayed. God was betrayed. And on that night, he was betrayed. On that worst night, he was betrayed. He still gave his life. Make no mistake. You ever feel betrayed? How selfless do you feel when you're betrayed? How, how much do you feel like giving yourself up for someone else? When you're betrayed, do you feel like you're the victim and you, you sort of got to get in a, a fighting stance posture? You know, you got to get ready to tackle someone. You ever seen an athlete? They're, they're ready to pounce. You know, and it's like, we're betrayed. I'm, I'm going to pounce. I'm ready. Not Christ. The night he was betrayed, he opened up his arms. My life is not mine. It belongs to others. Now freeing that is to know as a Christian when you really know what Jesus has done for you it puts in perspective every lesser betrayal that ever took place on this planet. No matter how betrayed I might have been or you might have been when you realize what Jesus has done for you personally on that night he was betrayed. Don't miss the point. If we were to have a survey of the aches and pains of life because we've been betrayed, the room it rents in our mind and the room it rents in our head because we've been betrayed, it ruins life. It steals the quality of life. But on this night, Paul reminds them, when he was betrayed, he tells us, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do you know how many times as a Christian we can actually forget what Christ has done for us? Because we're so consumed. I'll, I'll start with me first. I can be so consumed with my life and my problems and my situations that I can forget that it's Jesus who died for me, for my sins. And I can turn God into a sort of Coca-Cola machine. If I do this, I'll get... All right, so that's called felt needs. We all have needs in our life. We have emotional needs. We have physical needs. There's uh, domestic, social needs. We all have needs. But the greatest need is the spiritual need. And once you understand that the greatest gift in the world is eternal life and forgiveness, all those other needs, they start playing second place and third place and they're not as important. God will meet them. God needs to help us. We all need help. But they're not the glaring things that life, I can't exist in life unless God gives me this. God has given you and I the greatest blessing that you'd ever have, and that's eternal life. Do you get that? Please, this is not redundant. Time after time after time, a Christian can genuinely forget the most important important basic element of the Christian faith that Christ died for our sins. But it's represented here every time we get together. He says something else. 
And now it's our relationship one with another. We've been adopted into a mutual adoption into God's family now. And in God's family, it's not about male or female. It's not about black or white. It's not about poor or rich. It's not about free or slave. It's not about that. It's about God actually bringing a group of people of diverse backgrounds and bringing us together for the common good. I know that I've tasted that. Everything politicians are running around trying to promise Americans that this is the way to do it. God has given that. I know what it is to sit here and to love and to care for people of different color, of different ethnicities, of different backgrounds, of different social classes, of different uh, uh, education backgrounds and everything else and get along and generally, man, that is life. And I hope you're experiencing that. I hope you know that. I really hope and pray that you really understand that the most important things of life are people. People, don't burn bridges, don't burn, whatever you do, don't burn bridges with other human beings. As Paul says, keep peace with all people wherever possible. Sometimes it's not possible. But take away the demonization, take away the anger, take away the resentment, take it all away. There's a hidden element that's not often talked about in this text in 1 Corinthians. I'll give you an example. Paul goes to this place and preaches, and all of a sudden the church develops, and and there's people coming together. But these people knew each other. They knew each other from the butcher, the candlestick, the shoemaker. They knew each other. There was tension everywhere. Could you imagine how many people would love to see a thousand people here next Sunday? And they all love God. A thousand people from our community. Your neighbor you don't like. How about that one? Amen. All right? How about the family member you're estranged from? All of a sudden they're talking about God. All those people you don't want to come to church. That's what's going on here. They know each other. These weren't people that didn't know each other. They knew each other. Before Jesus came into their life, they had relationships. And now they're a church and they're looking at each other and it's like, I don't like that person. <laughs> what are they doing here? <laughs> like God doesn't. See, this is, that's the point. We get very territorial. You know, we want, this is my church, this is my chair, this is what I do. I don't want nobody coming near me. I don't want to see the people I don't like coming in here and getting saved. I don't want them seeing, I don't want them to know that. How would you like to have your worst enemy sitting next to you right here at church? Would you like that? Yes. Yes. Good answer, sister. Of course we would. Because the most important thing is a vertical relationship with God. That's the most important thing. Not about me and you. It's about God first. And if God wants to bring my worst enemy in and bring the noisy neighbor in and who's always parking in my parking lot and I got to squeeze out because he thinks it's his private spot, I'm paying for that spot. I don't want you halfway in my... I know I can get out, but I want to just pull out. I don't have to go around your car that I'm paying for. (laughs) Now you know one of the pet peeves that drives me absolutely crazy. And God always reminds me of my own sermon. When I'm there and I see the guy, I'm looking at the window. 
I'm through the Venetian blinds. I'm waiting. Who's going to squeeze into that spot? Because I know only a small Fiat can get in there. Not the Cadillac Escalade. So now I got to go around it. All right. You get the point. I say that in jest because that's what's happening. And now we have to find a whole new way to identify with each other. And it can't be through our old resentments and so on and so forth. So what we have here, we have a church. They're all over the map. The rich don't really care about the poor. The poor don't really care about the rich. They're being left out. There's inattentions from the marketplace already in the church. There's fighting, there's quarreling going on, but they're forgetting the most important thing about Christianity. The most important thing about church is that we are here because Christ died for us. And that is the element that straightens everything out. Paul talks about to take these elements until he returns. That's the hidden element of the Lord's Supper. Do you know what we do today, what we're doing right now, when we were singing and we're fellowshipping? That is a microcosm of what heaven's going to be like. When we are around the throne, when we are personally with Jesus on that day, when he returns or we go to him, if he comes to us or we go to him, understand something. We will be from every denomination, every ethnicity, every male, female, rich, poor, but it makes no difference. We will be there, a whole community of humanity saved by Jesus, loving God and loving one another. I cannot wait for that day. I cannot wait. And I share this often. I haven't said this in a while. But who was here last week? You here last week? You know what today is? You're one week closer of seeing God. Do you ever think of life that way? How many times we say, thank God it's... But let's take a big picture. Life is fast. It's at 58, I finally know it. I'm not scared to say it no more. You know what I'm not scared to say? Life is quick. It's really fast. It comes and it goes. And it doesn't scare me anymore because I know where I'm going. Praise God. Makes no difference. It could be tomorrow, it could be Thursday. It makes no difference at all. I got absolute, total peace in my heart. My wife has total peace in her heart. It makes no difference. I will embrace today, I'll embrace tomorrow. I'm not close, that much closer to seeing God. I'm going to say that again because I'm going to ask you a question. How do you feel when I say that? Does it make you feel good? Is it a little scary? Scary. You're one week closer to seeing God. Praise God. I'm not scared. scared. Why would you be apprehensive about that? I'll leave that for another day. But when we get together, this is thinking of the greatest kind. When we get together, I am so happy I see different ethnicities, different backgrounds. I love it. It's a joy in my heart. I love the fellowship. Of this. I, I, I love diversity. God loves, loves, loves diversity. And not just diversity, but what? Unity. In diversity. No one can give it like God can. That's the church. But this church missed the point. 
They're all about themselves. Listen to verse 28 and 29. Can we pull that up? 28, 29. There we go. Let a person examine himself. That means to be uh, introspective. Let me be introspective of how my interpersonal relationships are going. How's my relationship with my wife? How's my relationship with my brother-in-law and my pastor? How's my relationship with the congregation? How's my relationship with this person? How's my relationship with that person? When I come to church and I partake, we are called to examine our heart. That's worship. Has anybody examined their heart? How good is it always? And not that good. But that's worship. God likes that. God likes this. Guess what? God, I'm wretched. That's worship. God, I need help. That's worship. God, I still have anger. I still have this. I, God, that's worship. It's called confession. Do you know what confession means in the Greek? Agreement. When I confess and you confess, that's what? I'm just agreeing with what God already knows. God can actually say, yeah, I know that, Brian, but I love you anyway. Amen. But now that we got that over, let's go on to new business. Let's go on to new business. Examine ourselves. This self-evaluation is a genuine worship. Please hear me. I'm going to ask you a question. Would you like to really change and be the person God wants you to be? It will never happen without self-examination. And do you know when you change it? When it hurts. Self-examination. You really look and say, wow. I heard that message today. Over the last several weeks, I've been seeing people in the street. I get some phone calls, some texts about the last two messages I preached on love. And it's been touching people's hearts. And that's God's grace. I have nothing to do with me. That's God loving us and revealing to us things he still wants to do in us because he loves us. It's like a parent seeing a blind spot in a child and saying, I, I, I got to get to that. I want to change that. You know, and you love it out of them, but you got to bring it to their attention. Sometimes you got to strengthen. You got to have a little discipline too. We're going to see that at the end. God disciplines because he loves us. But self-examination, please say this with me, please. Self-examination, self-examination. is a form of worship. Did you ever think about it that way? Think about it. When you are self-examining, you examine yourself. And that, what that means is not that, I can tell you right now, if you think you're morally perfect, that's not what it means. This examination only means, how is my relationship with other people? That's what it means. How's my relationship? What, what's my inner attitudes towards other people? That's all this is. And I can easily say, God, it's not that great. And how many times do I have to take these elements after having a fight with my wife the Sunday morning fight before church? Because we're rushing to get here and, you know, all of a sudden, I'm like, Father, forgive me. I love this woman. She loves me. And, I, and I'm acting like a moron. You know, examine my heart, God. Test me, God. I, I don't want this. Just help me, God. Not just forgive me, but help me, God. Are you with me? Yeah. 
Am I alone on that? No. no, this is what happens. But that's worship. I'm confessing to God. I'm asking God not to forgiveness. I'm asking God for strength to change. I want to change. But I can't change unless I can see the problem and bring it to God. And if I can't see the problem, guess who will? Jesus. And guess who else? God. Brian Lakehan, my wife. She's great. She sees everything wrong with me. Praise God. But I, I welcome that because the truth of the matter is she's right most of the time. I'll tell you this, women usually are right most of the time. All right? That's just after 58 years you learn a couple of things. Okay. So there's an inner attitude here. There's a kind of different kind of worship. It's uh, self-examination. Paul's talking about it. to examine ourselves before we partake. Let's make sure our hearts are right. And if they're not, we ask God for forgiveness and help. That's all. Listen to number five. God is presiding over this. Verse thirty-two. All right, we just start there. Verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. That, that, that's a little scary, isn't it? I know. How about I take that out of the Bible? Would you like that not to be there? No. Or should I explain it to you? Okay, I'll explain it to you. Okay, don't run. Don't worry. No one's dying here today, right? That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we've judged ourselves truly, what does that mean? To judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. We examine ourselves. And if I'm wrong somewhere in my heart, I just confess to God. Amen. This is what's going on. The church is getting together. The church is called the temple of God. People were getting together saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus did. But in their hearts, there was so much tension and anger one towards another. The rich were mocking the poor. All sorts of inattentions were taking place. Nobody's examining their hearts. They think it's all a joke. It's just, you know, you get together, you sing songs, you read the Bible, but you don't change. Paul's saying no. If you are going to confess Jesus Christ, and as a pastor, me and John say this all the time, you're going to become a Christian, you're going to give your life to Christ, you feel like God's drawing you, you're going to be water baptized, and you're going to participate in the elements, make sure you are right with God. This is no joking matter. Christianity is no joking matter. This is not a novelty where you jump in because you're bored with the other religion. Or you're bored with trying another way. You know, I'll give God a try. I'll give Jesus a try. I'll go to the church. I'll get water baptized. I'll participate in the elements with no clear conscience. And I'll just go. Thank you. Let me tell you right now. Please, I'll tell you. I love you. Whatever you do, don't play games with God. Get real. When we are with Christians, God loves us so much that he is willing to discipline us if we're not right. But this doesn't happen overnight. This is after a long, long, long period of time where you're hearing God's word and you refuse to change and you refuse to do anything and you're fighting with God all the time, God as a loving parent has to come and say, okay, maybe a little sickness, maybe a little injury, maybe I'll uh, be laid up over here for a while. Many times in my life, and if I'm struggling with something in the flesh, I'm, I got to go to the Lord. So, Lord, is there something I don't know about? Is there sin in my life? 
Is there unforgiveness in my life? If there's something going on, me and my wife will pray. If something's going on, there's nothing wrong with that. I want you to know, what I just told you, you can go to another church for 40 years and never hear what I just said. They won't say it. They don't want to scare anybody. But they don't care if the church is sick and weak and falling asleep and dying. They don't care because they don't want to scare anybody away. I love you too much. Paul loved this church too much. God loves us too much. We need to examine ourselves at all times to make sure we're always right with God. And that doesn't mean being perfect. I just want to examine myself perfectly and say, God, I need a lot of help in my life. Are you with me? God presides over these elements. So if there's that little bit of looking at the body and the blood and participating, it's healthy. It's healthy to have a little bit of reservation because we know God is serious. I'm here to tell you God loves each and every one of you very much. Very much. But he's serious about changing our life. Last one. Verse 17. Verse 17, yeah. Can we get verse 17 up there? Hopefully. Yeah, there we are. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for what? For the better. But for the worse. Yeah. When we get together, what should it be for? See, that's how God spiritually nourishes us for the better. You come today, you hear a sermon, you're like, wow, God, I didn't know that. God touched my heart. God changed me from the inside out. God, I'm tired of being resentful. I'm tired of being angry. I'm tired of, uh, of disliking this one. I'm tired of being malicious the way I speak and slanderous the way I speak. Get with this. You are a Christian, please. Malicious gossip and slander has to go. There's no room for it. To sit there and rip people apart in character assassinations is no part. God is looking over that and saying, oh goodness, I got to teach this child something. They don't know what the elements are about. They don't know what the broken body is about. They don't know what the shed blood's about. They're still thinking that everything's okay. No, that's not the way to act. When I started learning those lessons as a young Christian, and realizing how much negativity came out of my mouth and how much negativity came out of my heart, I, I, it brought me to tears on many, many occasions. I was like, God, how could you love me? How could you love me? This is the hidden blessing. As we examine ourselves and we come together and God teaches us truth, and God opens up to our heart what he really wants. This is not about what we're... This is what God really wants. When we get together and we are participating in the elements, we are coming up with a good conscience saying, God, forgive me of all my sins. I thank you that you've forgiven me. You've given me eternal life. Help me to love everyone around me. Help me to other Christians. Help me to love and to care for other people. Even if they don't receive it, God, never let me get cold towards other human beings. Let's pray. Father, we come together. We need your help at all times in our life, Father God, especially in interpersonal relationships, especially as Christians, Father God. Don't let us be, as Paul said last week in last week's sermon, when I was a child, 
I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, and I acted like a child. But when he became a man, when he was mature in the faith, he put his childish ways behind him. Father, as we participate, and we partake together as a family of Christians in the body and blood of your son, help us mature. Take a moment with your eyes closed. Please. When we participate today, ask God to, to encourage you and to help you and to strengthen you in this area. That we can be everything he wants us to be. That we can generally be a people who are changed from the inside out. I'll go as far as this. That God remove every resentment out of our hearts. That's what I'm asking for. So, Father God, we just ask you to bless this communion service, Father God. We ask you to bless the elements as we participate, Father God. Bring us closer to you, Lord. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. And bring us closer to one another in Christ's precious name.